Hi, and welcome back to What is Qualitative Anyway? Today we are looking at chapter 10 of our qualitative book, Case Studies is the chapter. So in the initial part of this chapter, what the uh, author is explaining, mostly the differences between case study and typical social research. Uh, so with social, social research, you may deal with more ethnography, uh, you know, people's oral histories, their own personal accounts. You may have a broad question that you are asking and then just having, you know, others interpret or, or say how they feel in regards to that or their situation. But with the case study, it's definitely more specific. So you have a specific case uh, setting, time period, uh, person, group that you're looking at, and then your participants are then based on that case study. Um, the beginning of the chapter mentions exploratory and methodological approach. So you're exploring that specific case and using a methodological approach as far as data, analyzing it, um, very thick descriptions as mentioned in the chapter. You're, you're getting more in-depth, latent information from the participants in the case study to develop your theory based on that situation. Um, so that's kind of how I interpreted that beginning part of the chapter. But from here, it moves on to talking about theories um, and case studies. So prior to that part of the chapter, it did mention that certain other fields use this form of research um, as far as businesses, um, in health, like psychologists or doctors, you know, doctors and patients, um, law, you know, uh, criminal, as far as criminal cases, because you can focus on something specific. I think the chapter mentioned that certain lawyers use a sociologist to go, and Erickson was uh, his uh, name, to go and figure out what were the effects that these people had after a natural disaster to kind of get a better understanding in regards to that case, you know, as far as what they were feeling, what they were going through, and that case study actually developed into something larger and was able to be used for other people, like it mentioned in 9-11, people that went through that uh, traumatic event. So this type of case study can be applied to different fields. So from here, the chapter goes on to discuss theory in the case studies. Um, what, As far as I think Ian was placing theory before research model, but I think as it was mentioning, it can be used either way, but what I thought of was inductive and deductive theory when discussing that as far as Yin saying theory before the research model um, can be helpful and then also theory after the research model. So I do think that case study is more of a deductive approach where you're posing, you know, you're looking at the issue, the case, and then you're understanding your theory at the end, which is more concrete theory because you, you used all that data analysis, you triangulated, um, used triangulation method as far as formulating your final theory or conclusion. Um, but the chapter does give a helpful, uh, diagram or figure as far as, you know, the research. And I kind of understood this process in relation to what we discussed in um, previous chapters and in just using it in my own research. You know, you're looking at your research idea, uh, considering the problem. So that's typical. The, the beginning of this, I guess, is what I'm saying, kind of just reminds me of the typical 
um, approach that you'll take with any type of research. You know, you figure out your design, review, you know, your different sources, literature, uh, and then you move on to collect your data. And that's where it starts to differ from typical social research because your data is going to be more focused on your specific study that you're focusing on. And then from there, you analyze, you reflect, and then grounded theory, um, offer explanations for the problem or issue originally considered, compare your explanations with those current in the literature. So you're focusing your final theory based on the original um, case study specific problem that you had. Um, But from here, it goes on to discuss the use of interviews, which I kind of enjoyed because it's looking at, um, we understand interviews in qualitative study, but it's, it's, uh, kind of giving elaborating on the fact that it'll be different from maybe the typical oral histories that you get or um, just uh, you pose a question and people answer it interpreting it from their own experiences so with this you're going to have a more specific population and it gave an example of a superintendent you know they looked at different schools different um institutions within that district, but realized that the superintendent was the one that made the formal decisions. So they focused their study on him. And then to triangulate it, they spoke to people under him, teachers, associates, to see how he put his philosophies into practice and how they applied, you know, how they felt that those applications were working pretty much. So I liked how it mentioned that. Um, But it also mentions the use of documents. But I like towards the end of that part of the chapter, um, 10.3.1, the use of personal documents, how it mentions that even though you can say that documents um, can be subjective, you know, to the uh, participants themselves, obviously open to their interpretation, they're still useful if you're looking at a specific study. If it is, you know, focused on that, then that information is useful. You know what I mean? Um, So it mentions that and insight about the subjects that might not be captured through some other more pedestrian data collection technique. So that's where I thought of as far as like unobtrusive measures in the previous chapters where I started kind of thinking of all the different things that I've learned in this sociology course. Um, When it said pedestrian data collection, you know, using unobtrusive measures to collect data not specific to the participant, but this type of data, as far as personal documents, can be very beneficial in regards to certain case studies because you are looking at specific individuals and whatever specific experience or issue is at hand. But um, from here, it moves on to 10.4, intrinsic, instrumental, and collective case studies. So the first case study it's discussing is intrinsic case studies, which I think just based on, you know, the definition of the word intrinsic is something specific, unique. So it's focusing on something along those lines. And then from there, it moves on to instrumental case studies. Uh, The chapter mentions um, that in an instrumental case study, the researcher focuses on a single issue or concern and identifies a single case to illustrate this item of focus or concern. So after reading that portion of the chapter, I kind of connected back to the beginning of the chapter where it was talking about an example of case studies. And it says, you know, if they're studying a medical student's actions and behaviors in the first year of medical school, they're looking at his one behavior. You know, it doesn't necessarily make it concrete and factual for everybody's experience, first year experience in medical school, but you can use that information to apply it to that broader, you know, that 
audience um, of students in the first year of medical school, medical school. So it's just instrumental into helping understand maybe the typical experience kind of gains some generalizations from that um, instrumental case study. That's kind of how I interpreted it. And then from there it goes on to collective case studies, which I think is kind of explanatory in itself. Collective state case studies is getting um, multiple case studies and I think kind of a good way to sum that up. Um, I won't go too into it because I'm not really doing that in this in my research for my um, topic, but it goes on to mention where Yin says uh, it says it indi uh, Yin indicates the multiple case studies are frequently uh, considered more compelling and overall study is therefore regarded as more robust, which I think in any field of science, if you have um, something more, if something is showing up more than once, then there's validity in that. So if you have multiple case studies and you can find multiple themes um, within that case study, case study that keep on showing up, then of course it's going to make it more valid. And that's pretty much how I interpreted that. Um, and then it goes on to the case study design. The first case study that it's looking at is exploratory case studies, which you're exploring the issues, um, kind of looking, of trying to define your research question. You still want to plan for it. You still want to create your design and then go into it maybe with that mindset of exploring what the issue is, what your research question is going to be, and develop your theory from there. And then it ex uh, mentions explanatory case study. So you are um, asking more questions wanting to find out more um, explanations to develop your theory. So with this, you're using maybe different cases, um, different issues, other um, cases to explore your your topic uh, and just discover things that way. And that's what I interpreted. And then this, sorry, descriptive case studies. This type of case study, you're developing a, um, like it says in here, I'm sorry, uh, overall framework based on that um, descriptive method. Like it mentions here that descriptive case studies differ from explanatory ones in that we would be focused on the uniqueness of the case and not try to develop an inferential uh, model that would necessarily be applied to all cases. So it's more um, unique. And then um, from here, it moves on to the scientific benefit of case studies. One of the first ones it discusses is a case study of an organization. Um, it mentions, you know, if you're going to maybe study a police um, department, you'll examine maybe the department, subunits, juvenile division, you know, all the different divisions within it. And then I think it also goes back to that initial case study where they were studying um, the uh, superintendent. So it first started out with the institutions and then developed into a more focused one on the superintendent since he was the one that pretty much made the decisions within all those organizations. So they had to focus on his philosophy and um, practice, how, you know, how he put it into practice and how it was affecting that um, school district. So by talking to the other teachers. Um, so I think it started with a case study of an organization. And then from here, uh, it says case studies of communities. The beginning part of that portion of the chapter is covering how communities can be different. Um, they can be an online community, a community, you know, in the area, or, you know, I think like the West Side in San Antonio is a community in itself. Um, so a community can be broad, as it mentions. I think it can be somewhat fluid. But um, in this type of community case study, you are looking at a maybe a specific issue within that community, like it mentioned, 
um, the Catholic Church and how it affected maybe a certain community, or it also mentions the Amish family, maybe looking at the different routines and beliefs that they have within that community. Um, so even here um, in San Antonio, you know, if you go to the west side, you can see a lot of um, uh, Latin culture, Chicano culture, so maybe studying those roots within that community um, would be a part of a case study. But I think with the community case study, it still kind of falls within uh, a lot of the more standard social research um, aspects as far as qualitative research, talking to people within that community, interviewing them, um, and it can lead into a part uh, what I thought of um, when I was just thinking of different topics in sociology. You can also correlate or connect that to participatory action research. Maybe whatever you're researching within that community, certain community members will recognize it and take action on their own. So that's kind of how I furthered that those interpretations of it. Um, and then from here, it kind of just, you know, it goes into why it works, why it fails, as usual, at the end of the chapter. That, you know, the deeper understandings, the more in-depth understanding you get on a specific topic can be helpful in future studies or even um, court cases. And um, it also, it just, it provides more context um, for more specific uh, for creating your theory uh, after but and then also why it fails case study research fails because the world is socially constructed so I really like that part you know throughout this chapter I did keep thinking about social construction because even through it all maybe a lot of um, what we're dealing with just thinking sociologically it, you know a lot of what goes on in the world is a social construction so even talking with anyone you're still um, looking at certain people's beliefs or certain people's understandings of a situation. So if you are still interviewing participants, it is still their feeling and how they interpret the situation, even if you're looking at a specific situation. A lot of our life is socially constructed over a timeline of years, of centuries. You know, if we go as far back as, you know, God and Jesus, you know, from even that far back, everything has its place and how it fell in line. And um, so I thought it was interesting when it mentioned that because I kept kind of thinking that, but I'm like, well, I don't know, does social construction still apply to this? Because we're looking at specific cases, specific situations in this case study. So sometimes I doubt my own thinking process. So when I read that, as far as why it fails, I was like, okay, so what I was thinking did connect to reasons why, you know, they still may be like, you know, it, it still, it can be subjective in its own ways. Once again, thanks for listening.